Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined as always by Lee Carlo and Jeremy Fisk. Fisk. This week, we're going back, boys, 20 years again to, re- re- to revisit 2000's most popular film, Mission Impossible 2, starring Sir Thomas Cruise. He's been knighted by the Get Your Film Fix podcast, which is all it takes these days. And regular yep. old Anthony Hopkins. Um, our top five this week, we're going to do a Get get Your Film Fix's definitive list of the ranked Mission Impossible films. We're going to put it out, and then once the other two or three come out, we can add to it, <laughs> but uh, that'll be quite some time. Um, and we're also going to uh, kick off a, an episode that we'll probably do next week or in two weeks, um, where we recommend one of the other a a movie that we insist they revisit and we're going to do a podcast on this entire little experiment so it's so, sort of like uh just effing watch it exactly everybody. just having watch it assigned by one of us to another one Good morning, Mr. Hunt. Sorry I barged in on your vacation. Well, Mr. Hunt, I don't quite know where to begin. You know? No. Should I? She's got no training for this kind of thing. But to go to bed with a man at light home, she's a woman. She's got all the training she needs. Welcome to Australia, mate. This ain't funny. The mother of all nightmares is on the loose. I don't think I can do it. I mean, it'll be difficult. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. So, guys, I just wanted to give a little bit of context. I think we've talked about this before. I went back and listened to our Fallout episode where we talked a little bit about this. So, let's we'll try to avoid that. Um, the topics we discussed on that because it was only two years ago. Um, Lots happened since then. I just want to bring you back to 96. Uh, Tom Cruise had a pretty amazing year, which I'd love viewers to email in if they think that there was a more peak of a career than Tom Cruise's 1996, in which he was nominated for Best Actor, starred in Jerry Maguire, which was an enormous, enormous hit, and he starred and produced... Mission Impossible, a reboot that was one of the top two films of that year. Uh, I, If you can think of someone who had a more uh, important year in film than that, uh, please email us at feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. So instead of, you know, following up with that with, you know, working with Cameron Crowe again right away or, you know, doing another Mission Impossible, he goes and works on Eyes Wide Shut, as we discussed, and doesn't come up with another movie for for about three or four years. Uh, Eyes Wide Shut comes out. He gets Oscar nominated again for Magnolia, which we've discussed. And then, as a producer, he decides to make Mission Impossible 2. And he hires John Woo to direct that film. Now, Brian De Palma wrote the, or directed the first movie, who we talked about a couple of the, uh, podcasts ago on Scarface. Now he hires John Woo to follow that up. Robert Town comes back to write the script. Um, and I think there's a, you know, John Woo 
is this, is somebody we should have a little context with. He's a Hong Kong filmmaker who was very influential um, on uh, filmmakers of the 90s and then came to work in English language movies as well. Um, he even is name-checked, I believe, in Jackie Brown. Anyways, it's enough context for now. I want you guys to do me a favor. I want you to take your critics hats, your berets. I want you to put them on really, really, really <laughs> tightly here. As tight as you possibly can. And I want you to tell me, this is definitely the silliest Mission Impossible movie. The silliest movie in a series of silly movies. Is you want there us any, to tell you that? Is there any redeeming cinematic value not entertainment, not, you know, enjoying this as like a something, you know, to watch on a Friday night. Is there any redeeming cinematic value to this movie? Whew. I mean, I'm I'm going through the movie trying to think of like a scene or a moment or something that sort of hits you. And the only thing I can really think of is the one gunfight that they do right before uh, Tandy Newton's character shoots herself in the arm with the virus. Right. In that the... that gunfight was sort of classic John Woo, if you've seen any of his earlier movies. Um, that was entertaining. That was the only moment, I think, in this film I could grasp onto. I think there's moments even something as simple as the slow motion, the first time you see it in this movie, you say, okay, nice cinematic trick. <laughs> and then it's just used over and over and over again. And, and and I think that's where you start to lose any real appreciation for what anybody is doing in this movie. You know, by the last slow motion uh, uh, bit in this movie, when, when Tom Cruise kicks the gun up to himself... It just looks like a stunt, and putting it in slow motion just takes away all the intrigue of it. I, I mean, think, it's kind I of think. a kind of a cool move, but like you just you have no appreciation left for the things that John Woo is doing in this movie because he reuses it all. Everything is so unmotivated, and I think that's part of the problem with the movie as a whole because it it, it extends to the characters, it extends to the plot that everything is unmotivated and and it's hard to appreciate. I mean, so, so I guess movie, no, Chapin. Is this movie opens up. <laughs> this movie opens up, and there's this like, if I had to draw a Russian guy uh, s- sitting there with the vaccine with his right. crazy bad Russian accent, it looks like, honestly, it looks like something out of SNL. There's like, also the Russian guy in Eyes Wide Shut and the Russian guy yeah. in Batman Begins. <laughs> He's just a I friend mean, of. It, it's uh, a nice quote. It's a nice quote, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it looks like a parody, and that's what's supposed to set up the stakes of this movie. And from if you start with a joke, you can never come back from that, I don't think. Especially if you're trying to make any semblance of stakes for your audience. Okay. That's it. That's, uh, thank you for that answer. Uh, you know, the reason I ask, guys, is that I, I'm just... I think it's useful when we look back at these things I and mean, we try to find a way to like make these, I, I like to look at these and find, try to like unpack how they reflect on the time period, you know, like mission impossible at the time it came out and we discussed this on the fallout podcast was kind of a, 
absurd summer movie, but you look back on it, it feels almost sophisticated. Um, I yeah. mean, it tries to take itself seriously, and yeah. that's and what was fun actual, about like, that spy character. You know, like they yeah. are, they're actually spies trying to do something. But this movie is just... <laughs> I just don't understand, like... I don't understand the choice to follow up. And, and if you look at this movie, in the context of the entire arc of Ethan Hunt, they don't really reference the first movie a lot, but this movie is almost never... I don't think ever referenced in the, in the I, current movies. Like, there's no plot elements that, re- that um, endure from this one. Even the third movie has some elements that, you know, continue to be referenced, like Michelle Monaghan's character. But this movie, like, it's as if it came out, was the most popular Mission Impossible movie, I think, ever and then it was totally forgotten it was only the most uh popular because people wanted to re wanted to get the experience of the first one so they all went to see it i mean this movie seems like it was trying to sabotage the franchise but i don't think anyone went to see this expecting this jokey uh like okay but but it's De- not de- jokey. Define it's, it. Well, it, it takes define, itself so it, seriously. Define you're right. what you mean by that. Like, what is like? Try to explain to people what you mean. So, if you watch Mission Impossible One, you're going to try to come into this Mission Impossible Two. You want obviously some action sequences, but you want to have Ethan Hunt's character uh, take himself, take the whole idea of spying and spycraft, and that the um, what he does as a profession seriously. And this movie doesn't take it seriously. Well, okay, Lee, you're right. It doesn't the take movie, his profession seriously. Yeah, it doesn't take his saying. profession seriously. It, ta- it tries to take the film seriously, but it just it it's so out there that it falls flat on its face. Yeah, this this movie feels like a, a, a major outlier in the series, and you could make the same argument about the first one, Chapin. You brought it up. Like three through six have very similar tone they've got some storylines that run through all of them and it does seem like mission impossible 3 kind of had to reset the franchise after number two came out and it's weird i have all these very very specific memories about what around when this movie came out and when i saw Mm -hmm. it and i'll I'll get to a couple of them because they're funny but one in particular is after seeing this i remember talking to you jeremy and comparing it to the first one and just being like, it's so different. And, and, you know, you brought up that John Woo directed it and it's just a straightforward action movie and that you could you could put the first Mission Impossible into a different genre if you wanted, suspense, thriller, whatever you want. But this is just straight action. And I guess to go backwards a little bit, you know, the choreography in the action scenes are good. There's good set pieces. They're just not utilized well. But it's all about the next action sequence, and that's what John Woo movies are. I mean, some of them they almost they all have ridiculous plots. I mean, Face Off, Paycheck, they're all ridiculous, but they have good action sequences. They usually have good set pieces, and it's just how much can you buy into the plot and but the character it, motivations? And I think we're just. Uh, it's more difficult because we have five other Mission Impossible movies to well, which you don't, compare. See, I just sort of was thinking he's the wrong director for this franchise. Because I agree. you don't want to take the guy who makes Face Off and put him making a Mission Impossible movie. Because you want that, that sense of groundedness for lack of a better word, in that, in that franchise. You want to believe in Ethan Hunt as a as a person 
And I mean, right from Tom Cruise's haircut on in this movie, it just it threw it all out the window. And like when he stops, like the scene stops so he can put his sunglasses on before he gets back to the the action. It was bad. I mean, it's 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 really bad. And it's, it's not bad in the fun way. It's the in the bad and it's hard to watch way. Really? But see, I think that has I think that that has more to do. I think that has less to do with John Woo's direction of action sequences and taking the wrong things seriously or th- not taking certain things seriously enough. I mean, there are no stakes in this movie. Like you don't care what happens. You're you're not worried that Ethan Hunt's gonna die, but he has nobody to really care about. Sandy Newton is the boringest uh, female lead in the history of movies, and I like. Who cares what happens to her? And like the movie didn't even know what to do with her because she shot herself in the arm with the Camara, and she's like, "What were you thinking?" And she's like, "I wasn't thinking." And then she's like, "I just didn't want him to hurt you." But I was like, wait, but they weren't going to hurt him. They were going to hurt her. I don't understand what's happening. Well, there's two two points I want to bring up. One, everything you just described in that plot was written by the same guy who wrote Chinatown. I know. know. And two... Yeah, but he was paid a lot more for this one. Two, do you think English as a second language hurts this movie for John, John Woo being the director a little bit too? I just think no, I mean, because he, yes, no, yes, I don't think it does. I don't think it's the fact that he doesn't speak English well. I just don't think like if you go back, have you guys seen like Hard Boiled or The Killer? Have you guys watched those? Yes, movies? no, they're hard. I've never seen them because they're hard to find. So you, but you can YouTube their the action sequences on um, on YouTube, and they're just like balletic. They're amazing. You know, I mean, I don't yeah. know if I don't know and how they're raw. They're raw, <laughs> and like they have a different. They have a totally different system of making movies over in China, like, uh, you'd hate this, Jeremy, but each of those movies, I think, took about 130 days to make. Like, they just, they're, 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 they've got these incredible, you know, work ethics, and, you know, they're just, it's an, it's like this opera of, like, sparks and bullets and the two guns shooting, and there's nothing, like, realistic about it, It, but it works in that context of Hong, in the context of, like, those Hong Kong gritty cop movies because i mean at least when we watch them they're just you know like they're dubbed or they're subtitled and so you're kind of your your disbelief is already there and i don't know like when it comes back to this like very sort of modern franchise it's just it it doesn't it doesn't translate as well because it's like you know silly thing and he just doesn't it's not that opera that it was in in the hong kong movie you know but do you, so but do you guys think that, like the action is the problem in this movie no i think the action's awesome but i i think some I think of chapin, it is. let's not go too crazy <laughs> i think chapin's right in that the translation of the action isn't quite there but face off and paycheck are pretty good yeah but it no, goes paycheck back to my is point not good paycheck goes, is way better than this movie no face off is face off, might face be, off is page- sillier than this movie come on Pay- Paycheck might be the worst Ben Affleck performance ever, but that movie is not bad that. at all. I know, but that movie is really not bad. And Face Off is ridiculous, but that movie works. And I think the action in it works. And like this is the same thing. The plot is actually less absurd than those two movies. But it goes back it's just to my executed point. so poorly. The the exposition in this movie is out of control. There is like a 
eight minute monologue from Brendan Gleeson, which as it turns out was only necessary so that he could get the voice recording of his name. No, he's, we it's, had to know what was going on. I actually think uh, this movie I is kind of I didn't well learn written. anything from that. I think the dialogue Are you serious, is, is well written in this movie. Oh my yeah. God, you're crazy. It's Robert Town. Oh, so it must be well written. It's Robert Town. Forget it, Lee. It's Robert Town. What, what bothers... <laughs> What bothers you most? Like just when it, just the first thing that comes to mind. What bothers you most when you when after watching this? Tanny well, Newton. Okay, um, I, that's fair. The face masks. The face mask is pretty absurd. This is a good point. So there were mu- way fewer than I remembered, though. I so, remember. I do remember this as the face mask movie, like where anyone could be anyone, and yeah. it didn't really matter, and that really bothered me. But it's, and it bothered me this time. But so, it, so there were such... actually only four. Four face masks, but it was the timing of them when Tom Cruise just happened to have two of them on yeah. him. How did he have that guy at the end's face? <laughs> yeah, and he, and he had one of his own just just in case he needed that. <laughs> well, he knew he knew he was going to need it, so he made yeah. it ahead of time. Um, uh, can, yeah. can I give you can I give you guys a couple of anecdotes about this movie because I think this is what what makes this movie have kind of a special place in my heart. There's there's the uh, well, first of all. I remember very vividly when this movie came out and I was seeing the billboards of it and it was that picture with Tom Cruise's cut on the face and said MI2 and I was always seeing that billboard and I always kept seeing one alongside with it for U571 and I was like this, I didn't know what either of them were and I was like this is, it must be like the year when they produce movies with numbers and letters in the title. Weirdly, you didn't know what Lee, MI2 was? I did. It took me longer than I care to admit to figure out that it was just Mission Impossible 2. Lee, all Lee's passwords are still MIU571. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but really, I don't think I saw Mission Impossible 2 in the theater. Um, my first introduction <laughs> to it, my first introduction to it was on, was on a DVD player, which was uh, a new technology at the time, and it was at Jeremy's house. And I don't know if you remember the story, Jeremy, but I went to Jeremy's house, told me that his, his family got a DVD player and he wanted to show me like all kind of the cool stuff that it did. And he pops in Mission Impossible 2 and I'd heard some things. I think, okay, maybe, you know, it's really great picture, really great sound, whatever it may be. And Jeremy fast forwards to the scene with Tandy Newton in the tub and pauses it and zooms in on her cleavage (laughs) and shows you this is what DVD players can do. And so when I watched that scene, I remember that so specifically. And I think that, that moment, that, that kind of bonding moment between I me and Jeremy and Tandy Newton part, part leaves movie. This movie have a spe- makes this movie have a special place in my heart, and I can't be too critical of it. Because that will always be there. Yeah. Weirdly, I did that this time, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now you can zoom in and out four, in 4K. And the, oh, here's another thing that was really, really not needed in this movie was the Gladiator score. Yeah. Okay, totally. so yeah, it's like Hans Zimmer just had this score in the 2000s it's that he just exactly threw into Gladiator, yeah. Black Hawk Down, They're like, and, and we Mission Impossible Slow Mo, Gladiator score. People that'll yeah. get people emotional. But like that, to, you know, it's funny to joke about that. But like that's an example of like how erratic this movie was. You have a you know obligatory car chase at the beginning of this movie that, fine, is pretty basic but is entertaining. And then they get in that crash and they cue the music in the slow motion and they're like turning their heads and looking at each other and it just makes no sense. And me and Lydia laughed at at it. I'm like, not the intended effect. Oh, there was a lot of those, those moments where it was not really a laugh but an eye roll. Just what, what was the 
thought process? Why slow this down? Why uh, everything <laughs> slowed down? I just it, it's disappointing too because you watch these new Mission Impossible movies and you see these action sequences. And you even see action sequences from John Woo, although he's certainly famous for these slow motion type shots. And you just you try to picture those those sequences in real time, not using slow motion, and they would be really cool. But all the slow motion does is lets you see the stunt. It lets you like see that it's not real, and it becomes less interesting. It's not cooler. But maybe that was cool in two thousand. I don't know. The slow motion diving and sliding across the floor and shooting guns. Yeah, I think it was more in vogue for sure. I mean that it doesn't quite have the panache that the the Hong Kong movies do. His no, the movies he made in Hong Kong, but you know it's taking his style and applying it to this franchise. Right, and it's the wrong franchise to do it, and that's part of the reason it doesn't work. I don't think it. Uh, I, I don't think it works. I mean, I don't think it works anywhere. I mean, it. it I think it does work for those Hong like, Kong movies, but for Face Off, like I don't. I mean, I don't know why Lee is defending the movie Paycheck, but I don't know if that. I've ever seen Paycheck. Look, it's ridiculous too. Like it, it has all the same. You know, it's like Face Off. Basically, it's just a ridiculous plot that's totally unbelievable. And so as long as you buy into that, you can sort of appreciate the action and the set pieces, and I think it yeah. works fine. It's not a great movie, but this this movie, everything is so out of place. Like, the, the, the thing that's missing here in comparison to his other uh, American movies, I haven't seen his Hong Kong movies, so I can't speak to those, but what's missing here is any semblance of, of like, structure, and not story structure, just structure in his movie, like knowing what pieces belong in this movie and where this is just i don't know it seemed like tom cruise hired him because he wanted to see what he looked like flying through the air in slow motion shooting guns and he just said like we're gonna do a ton of this stuff in this movie okay well that's that's a good point in in a in a series with a director with an actor who knows how to pick directors especially at this time Especially yeah. this like ten year period between Jerry Maguire and uh, War of the Worlds, right? He works with some like really. He always has worked with great directors, but especially at this time, utilizes his power to work with great, great directors. Why does he in in the series that is also has a lot of great directors in it? Why does he pick this guy to make this movie? No, he wanted to make. He want. He didn't want to make. Um. He wanted to make his old movies. He didn't want to make face-offs necessarily, but I think he wanted to make Hard-Boiled. I think he wanted to make um, Once yeah. a Thief, A Better Tomorrow, The Killer. Like I think he wanted to make those movies, and he sort of... I don't know where it went off the rails as much, but I think... I don't know. Everybody sort of decided that... that you know, give him the reins and it'll come together, but it just, it does not. And nobody was able to say to him, Hey, this is going to look silly. Why are we, why is this slow-mo? Why, why, you know, how, how are we emphasizing this? Like that d- doesn't work. I'm trying to, I, I'm trying to quickly just Google the best action directors of the nineties, because I feel like, you know, Cruz likes to do his own stunts. He likes to be in action movies, and so he probably saw this as an opportunity yeah, but, to. But think about make the a, context. This wasn't that wasn't that this this preceded that time period. 
But what, with him doing his own stunts and stuff? I mean, think about Mission I mean, Impossible. I, That's a movie directed by Brian De Palma. It's like a spy thriller. It's got these right. action sequences. And, you know, like, but the most exciting stunt he does is like that is the... The train, yeah. Well, not even the train, because that's all CGI. It's like the, right. the the most the thing is the wire work, which is cool. Yeah, but it's a, it's all about being silent and and I guess my question right, is right, but that doesn't mean that he's not doesn't then become interested in taking that franchise and becoming an action star. I no, mean, I I understand that, but I I do, but I think I mean it's weird that this movie is a little prophetic in that sense that you see like they're going to be the movies get much more action oriented and like they even say in the Wikipedia that like. <laughs> Robert Town was just given a bunch of action sequences to write around, which is always, you know, a great thing for a what every writer wants. Every uh, but Oscar I think that winning becomes, screenwriter wants. That becomes how, I mean, literally how they made the last two Mission Impossible movies. Like, they don't have a script. And, like, I read an article about the one they're making now. Um, and one of the actors who's new to the series came in and be like, yeah, it's, it's a weird way they work. And like, now they've just decided they don't write a script. They just like make it up as they go. I mean, this is a $200 million movie, uh, you know, one would, would suspect, but it's just, I just find it to be a very odd choice. And he goes back to someone like JJ. He gives JJ Abrams the first opportunity to direct a movie, which, you know, I think is despite that. I mean, we'll talk about how good that movie is and the rest of these when we do our top five, but I think I think that's a logical choice on his part. Like, I mean, if you're kicking off J.J. Abrams' career, I, you know, that's a pretty big deal. I just think right. this is such a weird choice for, like, this is going to be such a different movie than than uh, Mission Impossible One, and he's got such good instincts and taste um, at this time. See, I think he wanted maybe or was hoping that like Robert Town could keep the the structure and the feel of Mission Impossible 1 and then bring John Woo in to just pump up the action sequences. But I think it got away. Went the other way around. It ended up going the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, look, I I think I enjoyed this movie more than you guys did. I mean, Chapin and you told us to put the critics hat on tightly. If I, I, I didn't hate this movie. Like I, for the same reason, I don't hate face off and paycheck. Like I just think, I, I like this one less, but I just think you have to understand what this movie is, and that is that it's not a great movie, And but there's some cool things that they're doing. In this case, none of it really works in conjunction with the rest of the movie. There's some terrible plot lines. There's some horrible characters, boring characters, so there's a lot of things working against it. But as a popcorn movie, I can see why this made the most money that year. I mean... yeah. Look, I mean, for bad to for me to really like a bad action movie, I have to have that mo- moment where where I'm watching it and I have to be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's how I'd do it. But that never even happened in this. Like, well, I, I never had that sort of like, oh yeah. I did not respond well to a lot of the action scenes. I liked that scene that you referenced, Jeremy. Um, there's a couple others that are that are good, but for the most part, I did feel like, especially as the movie went on. They got really stale because it was kept in the same thing over and over again. Uh, it was, you know, slow motion, slow motion, and then Cruz gets away and goes to the next city. And there was just no connection between, like, his journey. Like, it just felt like this movie well, I have a didn't question. have the overly convoluted plot that some of the other Mission Impossibles do, which oddly makes them work. Yeah, there's yeah, no you want to try no to follow su- it. Yeah, there's no surprise. There's no, you like, wanna... there's nothing yeah. to discover in the plot. Right. And do you think they, 
and I, I I think I know the answer, but do you think they genuinely wanted us to feel those moments between Newton and Cruz in <laughs> yeah. slow motion, or when she got the virus, or, or when she was like, standing on the cliff and everyone's when she's like, standing, Who like cares? do you think that they're like, oh my god, this is gonna get the yes. this is gonna be a yeah, tearjerker? I think, so. I think yeah, that's, that's, where the, that's why this. That's I think that's why where the translation bad. stuff doesn't work because, like. I don't know. It's just it, it. That style of movie making doesn't fit with like the kind of actress that she is, or the kind of, frankly, the kind of actor that Tom Cruise is. Well, right. Well, I didn't realize like, it till the end, though. When I saw her standing on the cliff, I was like, "Oh my god, I don't care. She, I, she's so boring." And I kind of backtracked through the rest of the movie. I was like, "She had no personality in this movie. Nobody cares about her." I do think that Town had a, was smart in. I tried to like look at look beneath like when I think of this movie, I just think of the John Woo stuff, just the stuff you guys described, good or bad. Yeah, I think the action sequences are kind of awesome in a weird way, but um, I think Town was smart in trying to make like in the first movie, Ethan Hunt has no romantic interest, right? Like there's that little thing with yeah, uh, Emmanuel with John Voight's girl, yeah, yeah, but it's not really developed, and they cut out more of it. Um, and so it's, you know, coming, to, but it, it, it sort of takes, but I do like the instinct of making that, like the double aspect of this, like the idea that do gray Scott, like looks a lot like Tom Cruise, his hair is styled like Tom Cruise. They double each other in missions. Like mm-hmm. I kind of forgot about that. Um, and that is like an adversary, but they don't, you know, he doesn't really do much with that, you know, and it feels like kind of a Hong Kong cinematic convention. Um, but yeah, like I remember, like looking. I, I looked at those. <laughs> I looked at the, watched those sequences, you know, from from which I recommend people do from like the killer and the hard, hard bar, like the tea house sequence, and like you know, there's guys like getting shot, like you know, getting shot a hundred times with bullets, and they're like flailing in the air, and um, yeah, but they could do that. That's the other thing is where does the PG thirteen aspect? Yeah, that's true, and they, yeah. I um I felt like this movie. Was more like a Bond movie than a Mission Impossible movie. I felt like that kind of towards the beginning. I mean, he sees Tanny Newton across the room, and then five minutes later they're in bed together. It was very Bond move, and like, yeah, you know, there's always kind of the ridiculous plots in Mission Impossible too, uh, in Mission uh, in Mission Impossible also. But in this one, it felt like a Bond villain. It felt like it felt very campy in many instances, more like a Bond movie than a Mission Impossible movie. And like I said, that's what made it feel like an outlier to me. Bond's, I mean, uh, Mission Impossible 1, 3, 4, 5, and 6, all, like you said, Jeremy, take themselves seriously. They have the right tone. like, And everybody seems to be on the same page, for the most part, on what that tone is. And here, it's like, silly love story, ridiculous masks, evil villain you know, deadly virus. Like it all just felt a little bit too campy. A little like bit that. too campy. I never I liked it was, campy it movies. It was way but. campy. And I think the fact that they actually expected the audience to fall yeah, for, for that relationship, the, not just the relationship, but the, all of it, the, the way that they want, wanted you to feel for the relationship is the way they wanted you to feel during the action sequences. It's the way they wanted you to feel about the adversarial um, plot between our main character and our villain. 
if they want you to feel, if they genuinely want you to have those emotions for all those different aspects and not a single one lands, that's why it's a bad movie. So how do you, what do you guys think about this movie in terms of the time that it came out? Because I remembered and at the beginning after he gets his mission in the sunglasses and he throws the sunglasses at the screen and then it explodes into the credit sequence. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't. I, I thought that was kind of silly now, but I feel like that was very much of its time. Maybe a little. Maybe we're a little later, a late in two thousand for that. But yeah, do I you thought, think like, some of this stuff worked better then? I thought. Well, I, I thought viruses unrealistic. Yeah, that stuff doesn't happen. Um, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I did. I, I did laugh a lot at this movie. Um. It wasn't. I have to be honest, though, guys. I was. I. I suggested we do something that we could shit on a little bit, which we certainly have. But I, this didn't scratch that itch for me. I need to find say, something. Say that one more time. I, I know where I mentioned we were looking for something that we could shit on for a little bit, which we certainly have here. Um, but I don't know that this movie scratched that itch for me. I feel like this had enough going for it where I can just kind of be like, okay, it's a Mission Impossible movie. Really? Uh, what about this guy? Um... Doug Ray Scott. What do you yeah. guys think of him? Has he been in anything since? I'm I liked him, he, but uh, sadly for the, him, this movie that went over schedule and he missed out playing on Wolverine. Really? really? Yeah, so Hugh Jackman was cast instead. I think they probably got it right. I think they did too. Yeah, they're probably lucky. Uh, great William Mopother performance. Yep. Who's that? Who's that? Tom Cruise's cousin. Tom Cruise's cousin. Oh yeah, he's a, he is in, so in creepy bedroom? looking. Yeah, and he's in Lost. Yeah, yeah. But he yeah. Ha- he's definitely creepy. Ving Rhames was good in this. You know, the guy who's been in all the other <laughs> Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, I don't. I mean, what else? I mean, I for- had totally forgot Brendan Gleeson was in it. Entirely. And Anthony Hopkins. And Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Um, Paycheck, paycheck. Yep. Thanks. Thanks yep. for the bunts. Yep, bunts and bunts. Moving on. Uh, that's about it. Yeah. I, but I wish can I we... ask a question about the Brendan yeah. Gleeson storyline? So he he saw... You're not supposed to pay this much attention. He saw in his limo, like, a tomorrow's newspaper that said he was dead, and then they release all this gas in the back of the limo, but then he doesn't die. Yeah, He's it was fine. all a dream. What? Yeah. It was supposed to be. It was supposed to be. It's a supposed dream. to be a dream. Yeah. It's supposed to be, be, make it seem like he was dreaming. And then he wakes up and he's like, "Hey, where's George?" Oh, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I thought. Yeah. I, th- I thought they just like messed up so in the script. They like wrote that no. he died, and then they forgot that they wrote that he died, and they wrote the next scene with him in it. Essentially, no, it they're like, scary. "Okay, we're gonna knock him out. We're gonna drag him over here. Uh, we're gonna do." Th- do this elaborate thing and then we're going to put him back in the limo and he's going to wake up and pretend and think that was all the dream and just go, Hey, where's George? He does kind of do that. The whole movie. He's kind of just like, Oh, yeah. all right. Well, the deadly virus, somebody else has it now. What am I supposed to do? Here's your 37 uh, million. Yeah. It, uh, and also if 37 million, obviously a ton of money, but it seems like that guy had a lot of money to begin with. Yeah, yeah, he seemed fine. Yeah, he was like a spy, but had a bunch of money. And also, he was remember he was 
investing in it in some way that would was there an explanation as to why he was doing this and what his plan was with the virus? I forget. Yeah, they were going to release it, and then they had it was very oh, very the simple. Antidote. Yeah, and they had release the it and then yeah. give and then make people buy the antidote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. That too. They, they, we'll see that happen. It's going to happen in real life in about three weeks. When the... yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move yeah. on, guys, from this silly fucking movie to our recommendations Dip- for our. What do we call this? Our personal Jeff Steffing watch. At least this is more your idea. So do you want which to you, which you then stole? I would never do that. I mean, I I just thought it would be fun. We always do Jeff Steffing watch it. We look for movies that none of us have seen. Yeah. And and we watch it. And that's a great exercise. I, I love doing those. Uh, but I thought maybe to refine that a little bit, it would be interesting to challenge each other. And not just for with a movie necessarily that one of us hasn't seen, but maybe something that we've always thought this person had wrong or needs to see again. Yeah. So I have a movie to challenge uh, Chapin to watch or rewatch. Jeremy's gonna uh, Chapin's gonna challenge Jeremy, and Jeremy's gonna challenge me. And we'll all watch that movie, and then we'll do a podcast and kind of discuss what our thoughts are on those movies, whether our thoughts have changed, um, and things like that. So I thought this would give a, us an opportunity to challenge each other. Um, and maybe change some opinions, which I, as everybody knows, I've been very good at lately. You have, yeah, definitely. Okay, who wants to start? Should we explain now why we picked it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, should we well, leave because, or or should we wait for? Should we just give the the movies out? Um, and then sort of discuss it on the next podcast. It might be, it might be um, nice to give some context to people while they're yeah, watching uh, it. But I think it can be a little bit of both. I mean, I'll, I'll give one. So, Jeremy, you can help me out a little. I have two yeah. movies in mind for Chapin, but they're, you know, it really is a coin flip. Um, mm. But I insist that he rewatch either Good, Bad, and the Ugly or Once Upon a Time in the West because he's often said that he doesn't think as highly of those movies as you and I do. And I don't really understand that because they are director's movies i mean they're they're not so much about the script and the acting and they're i think they very much fall into chapin's wheelhouse amazing visuals you know great sound even if they don't happen to sync up <laughs> yep um i'm leaning towards good and bad the ugly i i prefer that movie but i can't well it's your pick i would i would have gone with once upon a time in the west but it's your pick well, and well which one do you think encapsulates the spaghetti western better i mean they're i both like long. i like the first 20 minutes of once upon a time in the west as sort of the epitome of oh the spaghetti God. western they're both so long i know chapin i'm sorry that they're long i apologize for that but this, these are really this is what i thought of when i when i thought of this idea um so Chapin, why don't I leave it up to you then? You have to no, watch no, no, one no, of no, those. No, no, I two. want you guys to recommend which one. No, because I want our, because you guys are fans of them, and I want you to. Well, I gave my two cents. You think it should be? How All right, well, I'm, I'm I'm gonna actually give you. Um, which one have you seen more recently, Chapin? Honestly, even know? they're both the same. So do good, bad, and the ugly. Um, okay. I think that that's just the one I like better, and since it's my challenge, I'll. On my challenge! Okay. Good, the bad, and the ugly. All right. Um, I don't know if, Lee, if you've seen this movie or not, uh, but it was a movie I really appreciated when I saw it. Tom Dora. Uh, probably eight years ago. Um, it's, uh, this, it's called Sweet Smell of Success. Have you seen that? Nope. Burt Lancaster, Tony Curtis. 
1957 movie. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to tell you too much more. I'm actually going to revisit it too. It's on Prime. 100 um, on Metascore. 100 on Metacritic. So. Yeah, it's on Prime too. So I, it gives me an excuse to rewatch it because I remember uh, really enjoying it. Uh, so yeah, I'd be curious to see what you'd think of it. Awesome. Alexander McKendrick is the director. I've never Classic. heard of him. He did the original Lady Killers. Okay. I like it. Perfect. And it is... Uh, let's see. It's only an hour and a half long. If that's Beautiful. Yep, hour and a half long. <sighs> I'll, I'll watch it twice while Chapin's watching. <laughs> <laughs> Good to have the, the ugly. It's okay. three hours and 20 minutes or whatever. Okay. So, Jeremy, I went back and I did some reflecting, and after the, uh, and I went back and listened to the podcast where we actually reviewed this movie, Mm -hmm. I would like you to watch Annihilation again. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, man. You're making me do that? Yeah, because I think, I think, like, no offense, but normally Mm -hmm. I think you're probably the most articulate about your opinions on this podcast out of the three of us, me being definitely the least. No. But on that particular, um, podcast you didn't really express yourself that well i don't think i think you were like stumbling about why you didn't like it and you really didn't like it and so i either want you to change your mind because i think you were reaching for what you were reaching for in the stalker podcast was what annihilation provides and those movies are so similar i'd be interested to see how your reflection with the context of stalker now would affect that movie interesting okay uh I think I think having seen Stalker, it's going to influence my second viewing of Annihilation. But I can't imagine I'm going to turn around on this movie. I'm going to try to rewatch that as well. I think um, all three of these movies are available on Prime for anybody who wants to follow along. Oh my god, um, that's great! So that's great. Um, uh, I I will. I think I'm going to try to watch Annihilation again as well, so I can chime in on this discussion. Perfect. Um, this is interesting. That's an interesting challenge, Chapin. Thanks. So, uh, great. I have. Uh, I'm going to watch Sweet Smell, the Smell of Success as, along with Annihilation to be ready for that. Chapin, you, you watch Chapin. the long one. Chapin. <laughs> I mean, I will say if I have the good bet. If I have time, I will watch Good Bad and the Ugly again too because I haven't seen it for a long time and would love to watch it. Dude, again. These, these days, a three-hour movie only takes me like six days to watch. So, <laughs> yeah. I'll be ready by the time of that next podcast. Perfect. And then after the next podcast, should we tease what's what's the plan is? Yeah, I think we're we'll be safe to do that because I am uh, pretty much done. I've got one Dark Knight movie left to go. Dunkirk uh, two. Dunkirk. Watched Interstellar last night, so we are going to be ready for the Nolan retrospective. The Kevin, Nolan. Can you do that in a Bane voice? Yeah, just talk amongst yourselves. Okay, <clears throat> he's getting. He has to actually do the mask for yeah. some reason. Well, he can't do. Let us do the mask to understand the character. And in, in a couple of weeks, we'll be doing the Nolan retrospective. What? Speak uh, up. That's, that's how it's the Nolan retrospective. Bane, what'd you say? The that's Nolan how he had... retrospective. That's how it sounded before Nolan had to remix the whole. Yeah, thing. yeah the uh, <laughs> that was the. Uh, that, that was the IMAX mix. Yeah. <laughs> All right, should we uh, go into on. our top, the, the top five, six? Six Mission Impossible films. The definitive top six. The definitive list. 
Yeah, so basically I, I thought having three separate rankings of the Mission Impossible franchise <laughs> yeah. would be somewhat A little bit uninteresting. Okay, that's what boring. you were getting at. I was worried about you being... I thought you were saying, like, you couldn't do it because you didn't remember the movie. So I'm glad that's... Oh, that, that's part of it, too. But okay. uh, mostly it's because us <laughs> naming the three... Uh, Three of us naming the six movies over and over again is probably not going to be that interesting. And it was so, going to be weird when I had to admit that number two is my favorite. <laughs> Luckily, it gets buried Sorry. in the statistics, aggregated. <laughs> <laughs> so like the Fixies, we sort of combined our lists and came up with a Get Your Film Fix top six. I mean, really, the top six. I mean, you can it's from us, but it's the top the six. Definitive. The definitive. Definitive. Top six. Uh, you know, so, that would be great. I would love people to mm-hmm. write in and share their list or where they disagree with us. Feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Definitely. Well, uh, we'll just get right into it because the movie we've been discussing this whole time is our number six, Mission Impossible 2. Oof. And I don't I'm think saying. that's any surprise to anybody. Um, the only person that did not have it at the bottom of their list actually was Chapin. Yeah. He had it second to last. Interesting. But Lee and I, just rock bottom. Rock bottom. All okay. right, number number five is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. What? That's way too low. So oh, I'll admit, this, this was very low on my list because I find this to be actually even more so than number two, which obviously we just watched, but before that, to be the least memorable of all the movies. Okay, well, that's um, how I feel about five, so I understand that. Ooh, yeah, we're going to get into it, Chapin. I agree with Oops. Lee. I mean, I had to be, I watched all the trailers for um, Rogue Nation, Ghost Protocol, Fallout to try to uh, differentiate them because they have a lot of the same cast. Um, and this was the least memorable for me as well. So Lee and I both had that the same as our number five. And, and Chapin, where did you have Ghost Protocol? He had it's, it in number three. Yeah. Okay, t- let's, t- let's tell us a little bit about it. Because I it's low on our list because it's the least memorable. But I want to know what put it on put it higher what, on your list. What um, stood I, out? I just think that this 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 was the real reset movie. Um, hmm. You know, three kind of was like JJ's thing. And, you know, I mean, it's good. But, like, I think four really recognized the fun of these I think it, they really sort of defined like the second half of this series with Ghost Protocol. Like, this is just a fun series. We're not going to take it too seriously. Um, it's built around the action set pieces, and um, I think it's just really well directed by Brad Bird. Like, he's just got an eye for visuals and tone. I think is really important here. Um, honestly, like this, the plot in all these movies is sort of meaningless to me, but um, it's, I understand it's not particularly interesting. The bad guy played by um, what's his name? Nyquist from the original um, Michael, Girl Nyquist, with a Dr- yeah. Michael Nyquist is not very interesting. Um, but there's these set pieces and sequences that are just really innovative and fun. Like what comes to mind is when they break into the Kremlin, not really the explosion, but when they use that screen mm-hmm. and you know, right. um, there's just fun stuff like that, which I think is, um, although Christopher, Christopher McQuarrie, I think, did some rewrites on this movie, um, he doesn't quite have those same like gags in, in his movies. Um, they're more focused on the action sequences. And I like that this one is more fun in tone. And, and I think it just kind of captures what people are interested in with these movies, like 
we want to see the stunts. We want we don't want to, we don't want to be taken too seriously. Um, and I think that he kind of nailed it with this one. Uh, it's a good defense. Um, yep. no, our number four was the last one just named Mission Impossible, and it's MI three. Um, I yeah. think this Chapin was the reset because. And I think you're right in terms of like the tone of the movie, like four, five, and six all match well, and this one is very much J.J. Abrams. But I think just from a, like a story point of view, and some of the things they do throughout Mission Impossible Three are fixing what went wrong in Mission Impossible Two, getting back on track. I mean, they explain like it's for the first time you you learn how they do the masks and you learn how they get their voices, and I, that's felt necessary after the ridiculousness of the masks in the second one yeah and you you add some serious stakes right from the get-go you you learn that you have a villain that will kill a character and threaten to kill uh, a love interest for tom cruise something that they you know the love interest that failed in the second one so i saw it as a way to fix a lot of mistakes and it did those things well i think philip Seymour hoffman is very good in this movie he makes a really good villain he's definitely the best villain i think i think that's the reason it it ranks higher for me i mean it's my number four it is lee's number three and chapin's number four but i think philip seymour hoffman is memorable in this and he um sort of elevates that villain aspect which is interesting because Unlike Bond movies, Mission Impossible movies not, aren't necessarily about the villains. No, or, or, you're or the villains right. aren't supposedly supposed to be that important, but it does make a difference. It yeah, does. I think it's. I think it's interesting to see what J.J. Abrams brings to this movie because, um, you know, I think this movie takes itself very seriously. Like it, it mm-hmm. is. I don't. It, it doesn't quite have the sort of lightheartedness that the the last the three that come after it do. Um, and that to me just feels a little off. Like it, it feels very Abrams, which I'm not really sure feels why. Feels a little but dark, yeah. It's a little dark and like losty. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I I don't know how to describe it, but I I know exactly what you mean. I think if you know if people have seen it, they probably know what you mean too. Or like the um, emotion is like very heightened in the, the whole this whole movie. Like everything is very. Yes. It's like life and death, and the love of your life is being threatened, and there's a lot of yelling and crying and that feels very jj to me and you know it's a so much different than the fourth movie right all right so our number three it was actually lee's number two it is uh rogue nation yeah this one is just not memorable to me i don't remember And this is this is chapin's last one by the way and i like it and honestly for like this, putting this number six made me realize that this is actually a pretty good series if you you know average it out. Yeah. It is. Um, so do you rank this higher than MI two because just you didn't remember it at all or what? Like, well, I'm sure I know that I saw yourself. I know I saw this in the theater. I know that I probably revisited it before I saw Fallout. I know I probably revisited it before when we did the Fallout podcast. And I just like I can't. So tell this you happens, what this movie is about. Like it's this not, happens with these series. It happens all the time with Bourne movies. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many times you see some of them, you have no idea what happened or what the last like when the last time you saw it is. So I can totally understand it. You know, my my reasoning for putting this so high um is sort of the opposite. It's one of the most memorable for me. It's mm-hmm. one of the newer it's of the newer ones. It's, you know, the one that I just think is the best movie. I think it 
does the action and the tone and the story the best. Yeah, I think I, this I, I, and I don't disagree with you. I think this and Fallout are the same movie, and Fallout is a little bit more ridiculous, and so this one ends up ahead of it. Um, all the stuff that you guys have praised Fallout for in the past and are probably going to in a couple minutes, this one did however many years before it, three years before it. So I, I agree with you, Lee, and also as far as being memorable, um, the the uh, female, not the... Um, not his love interest in it, but the other one. I really liked her in it. Rebecca um, Ferguson. Yeah, I love her. Yeah, she's in Fallout too. Yeah. Yeah, she was great in it, and also I remember this one as the Alec Baldwin one too. <laughs> um, Is this the first time he shows up? Yes. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, and then in yeah. the and then in the, in the next one, he's like, I I switched jobs so I could stay in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I think it. Uh, I think it sets up the next one nicely. I agree, and I don't. I don't disagree with you guys. I just, it's not memorable. I think That's fair. the the set. I really, you know, after f- starting with four, I really like remember these via the set pieces, and I don't think the set pieces are very good. Although I'd like to go back and watch the motorcycle chase. I mean, they're well, so much better in Rogue in, in, in um, uh, Fallout. Come on, Lee. Yeah, speaking of set pieces you really remember, let's go with our number two. It is Fallout. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the scene where they crash the Brinks truck into the river, <laughs> that's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's right uh, out of a Nolan movie. It is still yeah. from Nolan. But the but the bike, the the motorcycle chase through Paris and the car chase yeah. through Paris are fantastic. Which are the and same a, scene. And the same a, scene, just and different vehicles. Foot chase through London. It's great. Uh, yeah, but what does that matter if it's the? I mean, because it gets uh, chase boring. Is a chase, but it, you, it gets boring. And like this I don't movie, think so. the problem with Fallout, and we have a whole podcast about it, so you guys can listen to it. But like, I, I just found this movie to have like terrible exposition, ridiculous plot, even for Mission Impossible. I mean, it's about Look. finding the plutonium, and like they repeat over and over again throughout the movie how how Cruz messed up. By choosing his friends over his yeah. job, and like it's just so over the top. And then the set pieces are cool, yeah, and they're memorable. And like, and I think the bad that guy stuff is super good. memorable. But it's the same bad guy in, in Rogue Nation. It's the same one. That's what I mean. It's the same movie. What no? And Rogue Nation just a little Henry bit less. Cavill. Oh, who yeah. cares about him? I forgot he was in it. Oh, He's not on. that interesting. Sean Ferguson. Yeah, is way he does more this thing where he goes. Whatever. <laughs> Sean. Uh, whatever his name is. What's his name? Sean Ferguson. That's not Sean right. Harris. Rebecca Ferguson. Sean Harris. <laughs> all right well that all being said uh uninteresting as it may be mission impossible one is all our favorites and the clear winner on this list wow why do you guys think that is i think it's a really good movie i think this the screenplay is amazing i i think the the guessing see that's the thing and chapin alluded to it the the very first movie you get to try to figure it out in the guessing is part of the fun of the franchise, whereas and any every other movie, the guessing doesn't really no, it's just, work. Yeah, it's just about the action. They try to fake you out by uh, by you know whether it's masks or yeah. double agents or how many ever times you can do that. Where the first one, it takes the spycraft seriously, and the guessing is part of the fun. And there are action sequences, and you see this guy as a real spy. Uh, that's why it works so it's well. It's classic movie plot twists. Like, yeah. I just think in the most classic way that they've been done, like, yeah, it's a little ridiculous, but they work in just such a classic way. And 
De Palma's direction works really well, contrary to what we talked about with Scarface. Like, I'd also say that I think this is this is Tom Cruise's most interesting performance as Ethan Hunt. Like he is this. It probably is. Yeah. Junior agent. Like I don't like him as the like elderly statesman of spy of the um, IMF. Like I like that he's disavowed on the edge, like where we like to see Cruz, like up against it, you know? And he's got this intensity and this performance and he's, and he's, he eventually figures it out. But like for that first half of the movie, he's just like on the edge of everything. Yeah. There's a chance that he may not succeed in that first one. You don't know you, you, you doubt him every other one. There's not really that moment of doubt. And it can't be because the franchise would be over. Yeah. Yeah. Good list, guys. The definitive list. So if you email us, you'd be wrong. But we're curious to hear what you have to say. Can I ask you guys, do you guys think that... So Cruz had this thing, which I guess kind of explains John Woo, of like, we're going to make every one of these series a like with a different director. And up until Rogue Nation or until Fallout, they did that. Um, and each movie kind of feels distinctive and I think it's interesting, you know, to watch from like our, our perspective, of mm-hmm. course, because they're also different, but do you think that going with, um, Christopher McQuarrie for the, I guess what will be the last four movies <laughs> of a Jeez. eight movie series is, is good. Uh, I'm actually not really all that crazy about it because one for better or worse, there's a lot to talk about with each Mission Impossible movie if you have a different director every time. Yeah, and like agreed. I said, Rogue Nation and Fallout to me are the same movie. And they, it's the same director. And I think you can tell. And I think it makes it a little bit less interesting. And I think that's going to continue to happen with these next I, movies. <clears throat> I totally agree. The plots are going to be different, but like, who cares? Like, what is it's plutonium, it's uh, coronavirus, whatever well, the this hell they're going to be, gonna be chasing. One of them's going to be in space, right? Because they're going to film in space. Well, is that going to be Mission Impossible, though? Well, I they heard, haven't. I heard they about haven't, that, but they haven't said yet. But I mean, I, it sounds Elon like Musk will. plays the bad guy. Yeah, yeah that's it. Well, that he's definitely. Well, he, uh, yeah, he's doing he's the research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah. So newer set pieces, a, uh, a diff, uh, something more innovative with a car chase. It's all going to be the same. So you need a different director's vision to do something differently with it. I think that's what will, would continue to make these movies interesting. But um, I don't know now. Now. Cruz doing them with Macquarie over and over again feels a little bit like Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay to just play with toys yep. you can win with. Mm, that's an interesting analogy. Um, well, here's a question. Like, if this wasn't just the, the last four movies of the same director, who's a director or an actor or somebody that you'd love to see in this Michael franchise? Mann. Direct one of these? That'd that be would be fun. Yeah, that Michael, would be fun. Michael Mann would be great. I mean, this is obvious, like, you see what Tarantino does, but that will never happen, so that's not really an interesting discussion to have. But you know, I, mean, I don't know if I'd want I, to see I'd a like Tarantino. to see uh, J.C. Chandor do something with it. Yeah, I guess so. Did you ever watch, did you guys ever watch um, Triple Frontier? Yeah. Not a great I movie, have. but, like, you can kind of see where this would fit into that. You know, like they've yeah. got the big scale I was, and I was thinking like the and, all is lost, JC Chandor. Yeah, that that too. Let's but, slow these movies down. <laughs> okay, but who could who could do who could best like get after the De Palma movie? Like I want the, I want that. I want them to make mm-hmm. a movie that's like more on that scale and more about the mystery. Who could do that in a good way? 
That's a great question. I'm trying to think of, of movies that have come out even in the last, I don't know, 10 years, even if they're not franchises or whatever, that have been sort of a good Bong Joon-ho. thriller. That's not a bad idea. I mean, I don't think he'd ever do it, but... Like, what about, like, I was like, Ryan Johnson. I mean, he clearly likes yeah, the whodunit. That's a, a great little bit. one. Yeah, I think you, Ryan you need a more genre, like, somebody is genre, like, Brian De Palma, but a little more sophisticated. But, like, wouldn't, I don't think he'll, he'll never do it either, but, like, wouldn't a Mission Impossible movie just be, like, a great course corrector for Michael Mann to, like, get no, back on no. track, make, could, make a movie that ever, makes some money? I don't think he could ever make a PG 13 movie. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's that or not make movies anymore, Michael. So, yeah. Well, he's making a, he's making Tokyo Vice. Oh, excellent. It's not it's not what you think. It's not Miami Vice in Tokyo. No, it's not. <laughs> well, I don't know why. Why would I have come to that conclusion? I don't know. Michael Mann directing a movie called Tokyo Vice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What about like Sam Mendes? That's not uh, honestly not a bad idea. I don't think he's done, I mean, he's already he's done, done, done two Bond, Bond movies. Yeah. I feel like he's just do he's he's done it. He made the two right. Bond movies, then he made a worse movie with 1917. Not true. Not true. Kind of want to watch that again. Should have me revisit that. What? But you like I, it? I, I was thinking about <laughs> yeah. it actually. Do that one too. It's easy. Yeah. <laughs> also watch those. Okay, guys. So let's summarize. We're, I'm going to watch The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Jeremy's going to watch um, uh, Annihilation. Annihilation. Sorry, babes. Fuck's um, is that? Are you sure that's on Prime, not Netflix? Because I thought it was owned by Netflix. Either way. Okay. And Lee, you're going to watch The Lost Weekend or no? Nope. Sweet Smell Sweet of Success. Sweet Smell of Success. Sweet Smell of Success, baby. Cool. Excellent. So if you want to follow along, that would be great. Um... If you have any feedback on this podcast, if we got anything wrong, oh, it's on Hulu. That's what it's on. Annihilation. Annihilation is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, if you guys have any thoughts, um, if we got anything wrong with Mission Impossible, if you love Mission Impossible too, we want to hear from you. Tell us what we got wrong. Feedback at getyourfilmfixedpodcast.com. Also, I don't know if we really want to consider this or not, but if you guys have anything you want us to get to talk about or review or Think about in terms of the Nolan retrospective, the director series on Christopher Nolan. Email in feedback at Get Your Film Fix Podcast. We can we can um, we can plan ahead um, to make that podcast uh, as good as all the other director series. I'm excited for this one, guys, because I think that there's going to be a lot more disagreement amongst the uh, the rankings, and I don't really necessarily know what your top movies are going to be. I have a feeling I know what Jeremy's is and it's going to annoy me. Um, it's already annoying me and he hasn't even decided what it is yet. <laughs> I haven't. Chapin has decided and it's annoying yeah. him. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the so I'm excited. Okay. All right. Thanks guys so much. And we'll talk to you next week. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.